Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, what places have survived the pandemic? Well, the outdoors have, for one, but even that is closing in on us. For the third decade, more residents in affordable housing in East Liberty are being displaced. And get your cloth or reusable bags ready because we're next on the list for nixing single-use plastic bags. Let's round up the weekend news. It's Friday, April 8th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. Today I'm with newsletter editor Francesca DeBecco. Happy Friday, Morgan. Happy Friday to you, too. And we're celebrating a promotion around here. It's not me. Um, I'm not the CEO. I know that's what you were thinking. But we're introducing lead producer Megan Harris. Thank you, Morgan. Um, We're very sad to lose Matt. He's moving on to bigger and better and European things, which is incredible for him. Yes. Um, But yeah, happy to be leading the team. Very she-she. Good for Matt. And we will miss him very much. So let's start with uh, a little bit of news out of East Liberty. It shouldn't surprise anyone. They're losing more affordable housing. An affordable apartment building in East Liberty has been sold to a private developer, forcing residents to move out. It's terrible. The property on Rippy Street was owned by a company who was you know, doing the best they could to to keep affordable housing in East Liberty. The company is uh, the community group East Liberty Development Inc., or ELDI, as we'll probably refer to them through the rest of this podcast. Um, yeah, they've spent years trying to attract new investment to the neighborhood while maintaining affordable housing. Um, I, I hate to say, I don't really know how much affordable housing there is left in East Liberty. But uh, I mean, ELDI has been a major player in that neighborhood for a very long time. Um, They have an interesting story. And, you know, Margaret Krause at WBSA has been following them for years um, of, you know, taking on what they called this challenge of affordable housing, whether they've been successful at it, I think. They and, uh, you know, every, all observers and residents probably have differing opinions, but it's been interesting to see how they've approached it, for sure. Yeah, you know, and they said that. They said that, you know, they hadn't gone into this thinking that it was going to be their long-term plan, and it's not. You know, the real reality is that the only way that we can kind of stop gentrification, it's not even stop it, but at least give some equity in the stake, is by having homeowners, minority homeowners in that area. Morgan, I think, uh, you know, the interesting thing here with the ELDI is that they said that they never really intended to get into the affordable housing market, uh, but they just wanted to fulfill like the need to stabilize the neighborhood. Yeah. I used to live out that way when I was really young back in the 90s and the 80s. It was gang ridden and uh, there was a lot of violence out there. And so they thought they were doing something to try to help, you know, get the, the neighborhood at least a little bit better of an image. At least that's the the messaging that they've used very effectively. Um, but, you know, I've never <laughs> spoken to them. So I guess I don't know what's in their hearts. I'm always skeptical of developers generally. Yeah, me too. I mean, considering that they've kind of sold these people out, you know, a lot of these people that are being displaced right now are senior citizens. And they're senior mm-hmm. citizens who rely on Section 8 housing to pay, you know, for their homes. Um, those residents said that that waiting lists for apartments that number one, except Section 8, can be years long. 
And wow. that also, like, yeah, other buildings are, are way too expensive in that area. You guys know how much the rent has probably gone. I have seen a report that says rent for a one-bedroom in East Liberty is starting at 1000 I'd find that hard to believe, you know? I mean, it's probably one building. You think it's more than 1000 Oh, way more. Yeah. Way more. Um, I'd probably say rent probably starts at maybe... 1300 you know and that's for pittsburgh that's high i mean it depends on where you are i guess but like they've also been cutting down on so many of those apartment options like there's all those brand new ones by the busway but a lot of the older ones that have been there for years like mm-hmm. penn plaza which i'm sure has like that start that that set everything off well and that would like be triggering to everyone who's there and dealing with this now right like they went through that in 2016 and it was just it was right. terrible um exactly if you weren't around for it it's uh, they said that they were going to tear down this building and make way for a new development that was going to be anchored by a Whole Foods. Like, it was gentrification 101. And <laughs> truly. And now Penn Plaza's gone um, years later. But it mm. was just, it was terrible. Everybody was so upset about it. It was a whole debacle. And that's sort of a similar story to what's happening here, at least in the sense that they, you know, had month to month rent mm-hmm. and they are, um, you know, giving people a certain amount of time to find new housing. So, Morgan, actually, uh, how much notice were these residents given um, that they had to be out by a certain date? Yeah. So the property was actually sold back in November. Um, the property is now owned by Costello Properties, and they told everyone that a date to move out originally was set for February 28th. So they had to get out by then. Um, residents called ELDI to say that there's no way they could find apartments that quickly. You know, from November to that's a dead season for trying oh to find gosh. an apartment. Yeah, and in the you know, pandemic too. In the pandemic in mm. Pittsburgh in the dead of winter, you know, you're in a place where there's a lot of students and and and. It's a huge place of urban renewal. You know, so a lot of people are trying to move into East Liberty. So I'm sure it is difficult to find that. They also said, too, that, you know, they they would miss the uh, access to to grocery stores and, and the bus line even. It's all right there. Yeah, ELDI worked with the new owner to delay the move-out timeline to the summer or early fall. Um, I know that they've done some work to help you know, defray the costs of displacement. I think they gave each resident like a thousand dollars, which, you know, realistically, it's not that much money when you're when you're asking when you're talking about moving. Yeah, and um, they were going to get their security deposits back, but residents weren't aware that that was a thing. So yeah. I don't know. There seems to be some confusion. Yeah, and then too, it's like you know, what's well, after April first? They had this thing too that if they moved out after April first, they'd only get five hundred dollars. Oh. You know, something that I found really interesting too about this is you know we're talking about East Liberty, and I don't. I mean, I think I'm speaking for this group when I say like. I think of East Liberty when I think of gentrification and what can happen to a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. City Councilor Ricky Burgess told the Trib that the only neighborhood in Pittsburgh that's being gentrified is Lawrenceville. And that is laughable to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, how can you think that? Like, he's the head of the uh, housing authorities, um, the Urban Redevelopment Authority and the Land Bank. Like, he knows these issues intimately. And to come out and say that the only place being gentrified is Lawrenceville? Like, come on. I mean, it was, but I wouldn't say that's like the forefront of the battle anymore. No, no I feel I feel like the crown jewel of gentrification has been East Liberty. Um, you know, that area has changed drastically, drastically since I was a kid. And, you know, 
not to toot my own horn, I'm not that old, okay? So (laughs) it wasn't that long ago, you know, that I remember the Penn Plaza, the arches that you would have to drive under to get Mm -hmm. into East Liberty, you know. I mean, it looks like a totally different neighborhood than it did even five, six years ago. Totally different. Totally different. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen with all these residents out there. You know, there's no... ELDI said this wasn't a long-term strategy for them in the first place to hold on to these properties. So not really all that surprised. But uh, Megan. Ma'am. We can't go to East Liberty because we can't afford to live there anymore. Um, (laughs) Where else can we not go? Please, please give us the list. Yeah. So I'm a climber sometimes uh, poorly. I make a joyful noise. (laughs) Uh, But there's a couple of climbing areas that have been closed down. Um, State Game Lands 51 and 138. They're both in Fayette County, like an hour outside the city. And they've been open for years. I mean, they're technically public, right? Like they're owned by the state. But climbers have rehabilitated a ton of these areas, like going in and just trail maintenance, cleaning off the rocks, making sure that it's safe to be out there. Most climbers, especially climber families, like you'll see moms and dads and kids, and they're all harnessed up. It's like a super safe and comfortable community. And they've done all this work to make it accessible. And the state came out this week and said, we're shutting it down. No more climbers, period. What? No! <laughs> Morgan, do you actually climb? Because I do appreciate this. I don't this. climb. <laughs> I don't climb. I, you know, I get out to hike at like Frick Park. That's my outdoorsiness. Um, but you know, it's it's like we have so few areas to go. There's so many things that haven't survived the pandemic. So many places that people love to go to. The outdoors should always be open. And well, and technically, you can still go there. But the state says that they want to protect the moss and lichen species, and they want to make sure that the wildlife is okay. Oh, okay, that I, that I can get behind. But but it should be said that the state game commission exists almost entirely to promote hunting and trapping. Oh, that I can't get no, no, behind. No. So, like, you cannot make the argument that you're protecting the wildlife and also, like, also make it clear that, like, hunting is the main priority for these lands. So, like, how is the wildlife being damaged and threatened here? Like, help me understand, because I've never been to these sites. I don't exactly know what they look like. Like, how? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and nobody calls them state game lands anything. Like, if you're a climber, you'd know them as Coles Cove, Lost Crag. Um, There's one called The Vault, uh, Rob's Knob. They always have funny names in climbing. (laughs) Fish Rocks, Zebley Flats. And so climbers, when they're there quite a bit, you know what it looks like when a trail is, like, habitually used. Like you get a little bit of a path. Um, And then when you're on the rocks themselves, whether you're bouldering, which is on the ground, or top roping, um, which is harnessed and on ropes on the walls to oversimplify, you clean the rocks effectively with your shoes and your hands. Um, So like moss and lichen for the direct line of the climb would go away. Um, And it only takes a couple of seasons for it to come back, which is actually why climbers started to rehabilitate this area in the first place is because the rock formations are really fun climbing spots, but they were just discarded. The gear that had been placed years ago um, needed to be replaced to maintain safety. And climbers had done all of that in relationship to the state. And then the state issues this. And it, it it's clear from the messaging, at least from the Southwestern Pennsylvania Climbing Coalition, that it was a surprise. Okay, so this is through the Game Commission. Now, I can support letting the moss grow back, okay? Yeah, totally. That I'll, that I'll allow. And it'll be, like, literally 
a foot or inches away from where you would put your hand. Like it is not like it is getting cleared across whole huge rock faces. Yeah. It gets cleared from the tiny area that the climber is probably in. What other kind of wildlife is there out there that's being damaged or threatened? So that's the fun part. The state won't actually say. Um, I talked to Seth Mazoris yesterday. He's the Game Commission's Information and Education Supervisor for the Southwest region, so where we are. And he says it's protocol not to disclose what wildlife might be threatened because I guess there are some people who maliciously go in and try to collect rare animals. But that leaves the climbing community sort of in the dark about what they're being accused of disturbing here. And I think it's probably affecting some people more strongly because, I mean, every climber I've ever met believes very strongly in the tenet of leave no trace, meaning that if you take it into the woods, you take it back out. And they're very serious about it. It even includes like, if you go number two, be ready to bag that stuff up. Um, Seth did suggest that it's more fauna than flora, but he wasn't super specific. Um, and it didn't fill me with hope. I guess the commission is having one of its regular meetings on Saturday morning at 8.30, um, which always includes a public comment period. He says he's not going to be surprised if he hears from Pittsburgh area climbers that ask why, after all these years of open communication and trying to be good partners, why now? Why are you doing this? Yeah, I'm really curious what other folks in the climbing community have to say. I guess one of the good things is is that there have been quite a few more climbing gyms pop up in recent years. I know that does not compare to doing it out in the real world. Um, I know that there was one that just opened in Station Square. It's called F8 Climbing and Fitness. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But then there's like the Iron City Boulders in Lawrenceville, Ascend in the South Side. So yeah, I feel like the climbing community is like really growing here. And it would be nice if they had a place to, you know, really practice out out in the wild. Yeah, and that's part of this too. For a long, long time, Pittsburgh really only had one climbing gym and it's super tiny over in Point Breeze. Ascend kind of started this wave of the bigger walls and the bigger facilities that we see popping up now. But, you know, before 2015, you had one gym. Now you have, I think, five or six and two more that have said they're on their way. Wow. Which is great. And indoor facilities are awesome. But it's kind of like the difference between running on a treadmill and running on a trail. Yeah, it's like practice. Well, yeah. And it's nice to have these smaller areas that are close by Pittsburgh, like within an hour, that you can practice these skills in a safe environment with your community. Because yeah. a lot of climbers, like they have families, they have other things, they have commitments. They can't necessarily come to a four-hour one-way drive to West Virginia to do it there <laughs> um, with people or to take a class. Like most of the clinics and classes are, if you want to do outdoor climbing, are down there. Um, Ascend offers some, which is great, but it's limited, right? And you have to be able to have areas like this open. And to shut them off means that a lot of people aren't able to take their indoor skills outside if that's where they'd rather be. Francesca, what other ways is Pittsburgh trying to protect our environment? Yeah, nice segue, Morgan. Uh, so <laughs> Pittsburgh might finally be getting its plastic bag ban. So after months of deliberation and delay, city council voted to preliminarily approve legislation that would ban single-use plastic bags. Um, the bill will actually be up for a final vote uh, this coming Tuesday, April 12th. Um, and if it is passed, it'll go into effect on April 12th, 2023. So they have a year to adopt it. 
Um, and this bill will require shoppers to either bring reusable bags or purchase paper bags at a fee of 10 cents per bag. That seems fair enough. I mean, a lot of other places have done this. And gosh, Giant Eagle was totally on board to start it before the pandemic. They just decided like, oh, for cleanliness, I guess we have to reverse that policy. Right, right. Councillor Erica Strasberger spearheaded the legislation. Um, and in her bill, she cited this study by Penn Environment, a 2021 study that found that microplastics were in 53 of Pennsylvania waterways. We know this to be true. We know that plastic is polluting everything. Us, our our environment, our rivers, um, the the actual factories that create the plastics. Um, So they're really trying to figure out the best way to implement this plastic bag ban. Uh, Strasburger said that they really need to like create like a marketing campaign to get the word out and, um, you know, raise funds for reusable bag distribution. I just want to say I'm a fan of the ban, uh, so I am biased. <laughs> Let that be known. But especially because I'm like a reusable bag hoarder. I don't, well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I'm amazed that people have to buy them. I think that's just a mark of like lack of preparedness because I have like <laughs> yeah. 25 downstairs and I have called repeatedly. Like I'm only keeping the cutest ones that like have the best handles and I still have so many of them. <laughs> I know. It's like fellow Pittsburghers. I'll help you out. I got them all. <laughs> there, there is a joke that black people are the number one reusers of plastic bags. We have them under our kitchen sinks. You can ask any black person. <laughs> I guarantee you they're under our kitchen sinks. We're reusing them for so much. But I also kind of feel like not we as black people, but we as Pittsburgh, <laughs> we're, <laughs> I feel like we're a little bit behind this trend. So where else is this happening in, in the country? Yeah, it kind of feels like we are a little bit behind, but... Uh, just so you can have a good comparison, Philadelphia's ban on single-use plastic bags uh, just went into full effect. So um, they've had this ban. It, it's been effective for a year, but they just started establishing the fines. So um, people could be fined up to like $150 if um, they have repeat violations, like a, like a, if a business does. Who, um, who comes in and decides like you're not living up to the mandate? Like is that part of like restaurant <laughs> inspections or something? Like I'm just imagining like people leave here with plastic Yeah, what poor person is required to come in and say like, oh, you're not using the right bag to like. That's a really good question. I don't know that answer, but I mean, I guess I mean, nobody loves to tell on each other like a Pittsburgher, so. No, right, right. And, uh, you know, there's other places that have had this for a while. California was the first state to adopt one. Um, There was actually a 70% drop in their overall plastic bag litter on the state's beaches uh, roughly a year after they adopted the ban. So that's like a really a good indication. New Jersey has one starting uh, this year on May 4th. But there's been a lot of cities who've done this, um, like Boston, Chicago, LA, San Fran, Seattle. Some some actually have the fees attached to them, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and Vermont has probably one of the most comprehensive plastic bills in the country vermont would yeah right yeah, i feel like all those cities are like enormous too like i want to know what cleveland and right Baltimore are right because like are they on board because that's really a better indication of what we're gonna do yeah what are the other failing steel towns <laughs> yeah. doing with their plastic bags that's what i want to know how's indianapolis feel about this where's youngstown stand on it is there a downside to any of this like i don't mind it i feel like i have plenty of uh, i mean it's just me but i feel like i have plenty of uh, reusable bags yeah um i I really 
don't, I mean, I personally don't see there being a huge downside, except some businesses say that the cost of actually complying to these uh, bills will, you know, be felt by them and the consumers because they'll have to increase the prices. But like these days we have inflation. um, So I can understand why businesses are a little bit more concerned about that. What's one more upcharge between friends? You know, like yeah, <laughs> right. None, and we, like, none of us could afford the milk anymore anyway. Like whatever. No. <laughs> you want to add it to my tab? Yeah, oat milk forever, guys. Oat milk forever <laughs> over here. But I, you know. <laughs> First of all, I'm a big Aldi shopper, so I've been bringing my reusable bags to the store forever. Um, I, Are you one I of those really like, like really like happy people who comes in like all like proud of the, with their with their bags and with signs bags. the little Hell thing yeah. in Trader Joe's? Find the, like, the the cardboard boxes. Hell and yeah! Like, so organized. I go into Aldi with no plan mm-hmm. and no. I leave like a mad woman. I won't even just... spend the twenty five cents <laughs> for the cart. Like it's oh, it's what I could carry that in my too. own two hands. That's it. That's the most we can buy. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I like it because, uh, well, first of all, I, I actually like packing my own groceries. I don't know. Like, I I don't need my my checkout person to do that for me. I like to <laughs> make sure that I have everything, you know, put in there. We're learning right. a lot about your personality. I know. Fulfill, fulfilling, <laughs> fulfilling the Fisher Price dream at five of bagging your own groceries. The whole, the whole city of Pittsburgh, all of our listeners, are learning a little bit too much about Francesca in this episode. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I I think everyone should get in on it, you know, have have a little, you know, fun and have, you know, compassion for the environment. Uh, I was also thinking we should get some uh, CityCast Pittsburgh totes out there into the world. Do you need as- another one for the collection? Well, I well, yeah, oh, I'm definitely. But I mean, for our audience, uh, whenever this ban goes into effect, we should definitely. Well, y'all, let us know. Should we have CityCast tote bags? Uh, what says the audience? Morgan says <laughs> yes. I know plenty of screeners, and um, I'd love to get some canvas screen bags and let's do it. Be out in this. Be out in the city with my little tote. Uh, Francesca and Megan, thank you so much for everything today. This has been a, a great roundup and, um, cheers and salutations. Uh, what other European salute, uh, to Matt? Absolutely. Have a great weekend, y'all. See ya. And a note for our listeners, because of these personnel changes, we're going to take a few days to get our house in order, okay? Please let us do that, okay? We're going back to two days a week just for a little while, and we'll be back to daily in no time. I guarantee you it'll be in a blink. We'll be right back. If you know anyone who's an amazing audio editor, please send them our way. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. The lead producer is Megan Harris. Francesca DeBecco writes a newsletter, and I'm your host, Morgan Moody. Our music is by Benji. If you don't already, please subscribe to our newsletter. It's wonderful. And we'll be back Tuesday with more news from around the city. See you then. Happy breath sounds. <laughs>